The Bill Myers Show podcast is sponsored by Clouser Drilling. They've been leading the way in Southern Oregon well drilling for over 50 years. Find out more about them at clouserdrilling.com. Happy Find Your Phone Friday. How you doing? This is the Bill Myers Show, 770-5633, 770-KMED. To uh, join the conversation, we'd love to get a chance to uh, touch in with you about things that are on uh, your mind today. Weather a little milder today. Most of the snow in the uh, in the higher hills, maybe uh, even a... Uh, you know, a little bit. Yeah, we got a storm moving in here, but it's mostly rain in the valley, so shouldn't be uh, too much of a big deal. But we will talk with uh, Mr. Outdoors, Greg Roberts. Joins me in about an hour from now. We always uh, kick around the various uh, news items and such, and uh, that'll always be interesting. Rick Manning joins me for the D.C. Swamp Update, and I get the impression that uh, Speaker Mike Johnson's feet are getting a little bit warm there because he's kind of in a no-win situation whatever direction he's headed in it's kind of um uh, well it's it's difficult it's difficult uh it's just like everybody in the house you know you got one maybe two like i was saying uh, congressman cliff bench was talking about uh, uh one or you know two it's really only like a one seat advantage right now because uh two people have uh have quit and left and you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's just nuts. And the other two-thirds of the government controlled by the Democrats. And I know that we, as conservatives, for the most part, most listeners here are relatively conservative, okay? Some are not, but but most are, okay? That's just uh, the way it is in uh, local talk radio here on KMED, KCMD, and I'm proud to fly the flag, you know, as that were. But we forget that it's uh, not just a matter of doing what you want. You have to be able to convince other people, whether you like to or not, uh, Cliff is one of 435 there are votes he's taken that I've been really pleased with are the ones he's uh, not been. Uh, I am happy that he's using his water lawyer uh, background to uh, at least maybe he can save what's going on at uh, this ridiculousness at the Snake River dams. And I think that's uh, you know a good thing. Probably where I disagree with him, though, is this talk about the uh, the climate dams. Well, it's a uh, private. Uh, they, these are privately owned and hence. Uh, you know, they can do with it what they want. That's where I disagreed with uh, Congressman Bentz. But, you know, it's uh, probably too late. You know, unless people are going to raise money and hire lawyers, the Klamath Dam, what's happening with the Klamath Dam is uh, is going to happen with the Klamath Dam. It takes engaging in lawfare, and you're not going to get any help from Congress at this point in time. I still look at the Klamath as a tragedy because you impound that water for all those decades. You've created a new ecosystem there. Nobody cares about that ecosystem being destroyed. Even JPR was reporting that there's going to be decades of se- of sentiment of uh, sediment rather running down the rivers, but that's okay. That's all right. You know, but if you or I were to dump sediment in the river, we'd be arrested, right, and charged with a crime. But if you do it as uh, as part of a consensus-based process, uh, you know, a fraud with the Pacific Power people and the tribes are involved and all the other gangrenes and everything, oh, that's okay. Then we'll then we'll stand aside and uh, just wait until the uh, monument burns. Once there's no water to grab in the summertime fires, right? You know, but then they'll blame that on climate change too after they destroy the beneficial use of water. But be that as it may. It's a mixed bag in Congress, I guess, is uh, is what I'm saying. Now, speaking of that mixed bag, uh, Jason Beeb ended up reaching out to me, sent me an email last night and asked to come on the show. He's challenging Congressman Cliff Bentz for his uh, position. So he's going to primary him. He's primarying him, Mayor of Prineville. And I'm skeptical of that kind of run, of these kind of late, uh, late Hail Mary sort of things. And I told him so. And when I'm back from uh, Martin Luther King Day, a holiday on Monday, when I'm back on Tuesday, we'll talk with uh, Jason Beeb, hopefully. And I said, yep, be, I'd be happy to have you on. But, you know, I'm not going to be uh, Switzer- totally uh, Switzerland on something like this because uh, if you're going to challenge, I prefer you challenge with money and organization. I'm not convinced he has it. But, you know, I'll listen to him and... And I'll be fair about it, but I'm just telling you where I where I'm coming from from the beginning. And I told him that, you know, in the email, I said, "Hey, listen, I you know, think it's last minute. You're Mayor Prineville, relatively unknown, and the last time he ran for a larger office was uh, coming in fourth place in the Republican primary, running against, uh, or actually to uh, take on Ron Wyden. Now I could be wrong about that, but uh, like I'll ask him about it, and 
and and I what I'm really concerned about is uh, that you know conservatives you know, kind of get distracted by the Joe Ray Perkinses of the world. And by the way, I like Joe Ray Perkins, but you know once again, you know you say well. When she was running against our Merkley, I think, last time as an example, I said, well, I got like 40, 42 percent of the vote. They said, yeah, because you were just an R. You know, that's just it. But it's going to take more than just 40 to 42 percent to be able to uh, take out some Democrats here. It's going to take money and organization, and you're not going to do it from out of the back of your pickup truck. And and, and that's what I'm trying to get. And And like I said, I was just talking to other people about this. Uh, you know, there were, it was the gentleman I was talking to yesterday from the Save Our Democracy people. You know, they want to put more funding in the hands of voters directly where they direct it, where it's not just all the big wealthy donors. And, hey, you know, there's something to be said for what that uh, lawyer, that attorney was uh, was talking about. But as it is right now, if you're going to run for Congress, you're not running for the You're not running for a mayor position or a city council. You're running to be one of 435 in, you know, one of the top 435 political elites in the entire country, and you better have some serious juice to bring to the game because you have to engage in the war, you know, in the in the battle to whether, you know, if you want to challenge Cliff Bence, you better, you better do it, right? You know, same thing happened. In fact, I think even um, State Senator Dennis Linthicum would probably agree that uh, with my evaluation, even though he wouldn't like it, because he challenged uh, Greg Walden a number of years ago. He ended up not even being close. He was underfunded. You know, once again, if you don't have the funding, you're spinning wheels and spinning wheels. We, we don't have enough political capital and time to waste these days to you know throw a lot of energy into Hail Marys all the time. You know, there has to be a little more you know, strategy. And as many problems as some conservatives have had with uh, Cliff Bentz, it would seem to me that we're probably better off investing in leading him and getting involved and, and getting in his face and communicating where you want him to go rather than, well, okay, after two years, just going to throw him out and replace him with the mayor of Prineville. You know, that, that's kind of where I'm uh, coming from. We have to think a little more strategically. It's like, my gosh, the first term or so in Congress, you're barely getting to know where the keys to the restroom are, for crying out loud. And in other words, you're kind of almost useless the first term. It's just the way it goes. You know, just trying to, uh, you know, get in there, get on your committees and, and figure out figure out the relationships of what it takes. Anyway, we'll talk with uh, with Rick about that coming up here in the uh, next few minutes. My biggest problem with uh, Congressman Bence, though, and I and I would tell him if he were on with me right now, FBI. After everything that has happened, all these years to have so many Republicans vote to give the FBI its Taj Mahal, when there's no reform, there's been no reform done, no oversight, no yanking of the chain. That one sticks in my craw. But does that mean all of a sudden I want to throw him out over that one vote? I don't know. I have to think a little more strategically and uh, pragmatic. I can't uh, get everything I want. None of us can get everything we want. But like I say, we can have these differences of opinion, and I'll talk with uh, Jason Beeb about that on uh, Tuesday's show. Yeah, Monday, uh, the Hugh Hewitt Show will be filling in for me. I'll be taking Martin Luther King Jr. Day off, just so you know, okay? It's uh, 20 after 6. We'll go over some of the other headlines here. And I guess uh, they're a little short on money hiring the firefighters in Medford, the new high firefighters, but uh, they're going to do it anyway. I'll tell you a little bit about that and some other news along with your calls. 770-KMED. This is the Bill Myers Show on KMED KCMD. For over 30 years, contractors and do-it-yourselfers have known where you get the best building materials and tools at the best prices. Hughes Lumber has been helping Southern Oregon grow. Whether you're framing, siding a home, or building a deck, Hughes Lumber has everything you need to get the job done right. Except keeping your mind on your work. Hughes Lumber on Crater Lake Highway next to Garrison's.
Bill Meyer with Sharice from No Wires Now. So glad I switched a dish. And if your listeners have DirecTV or cable TV, they're paying too much. And you made it easy to switch. Plus, I got the Hopper DVR and Dish's very cool voice-activated remote. Call today. Tell me what you have, how much you're paying, and I think you're going to love Dish. I'll even help you lower your existing internet and cell phone bill. Call Sharice like I did. 541-680-5875. NoWiresNow.com. Restrictions apply. Call for details. Internet and cell phone service are not provided by Dish. Imagine having all the money you need for retirement, all the income, every month, guaranteed. That's Secure Future Investor, an indexed annuity tied to growth in the stock market, but without any risk of loss ever. It's guaranteed money for life income, no matter how long you live. Call 888-509-2228. 888-509-2228. Sponsored by GP Agency, Inc., Raleigh, North Carolina. Licensed in all states. Performance may vary. Consult with your financial professional before making an investment decision. It's 2024. Do you honestly think the government is looking out for you? Do they have your back? We have political chaos, global wars, no border protection, and our leadership telling you about pronouns and electric cars. It's time to take a hard look at protecting yourself and your family. It's time to visit the Oxford Gold Group. Go to OxfordGoldGroup.com slash free and order the investment guide. Oxford Gold Group slash free. That's Oxford Gold Group slash free. Oxford Gold Group slash free. Hi, I'm Lisa with Kelly's Automotive Service, and I'm on KMED and KCMD. 22 after 6. Join the conversation if you wish at 770-770-KMED. 770-5633, okay? One of the top stories from our news partner, KOBI 5. Kids Unlimited, Kids Unlimited Academy, that public charter school in White City, shutting down at the end of the school year. And uh, this according to a letter given to White City families yesterday. Kids Unlimited Academy terminated, uh, terminated its relationship with the Eagle Point School District after years of being open there. And the letter says circumstances beyond uh, the Academy's control made it incapable of expanding the school's ability to accommodate higher grades. And uh, Tom Cole, who is the CEO and founder of Kids Unlimited, says the school is such a valuable resource and having to close it is more than disappointing. Must have to do with uh, with money, I would imagine. All right. Uh, on the other hand, uh, speaking of money, Road Valley Times reporting that a $400,000 grant oversight hurdle has been cleared it will not delay hiring six new Medford firefighters. It's a $2.5 million grant, safer grants, what it's called, uh, from FEMA, will pay most of the expenses of these uh, firefighters. Of course, you know, firefighters are some of the most expensive public employees we have. And uh, there was a snafu. They the said he didn't calculate the increases from uh, labor negotiations. And, of course, there's the persistent benefits when the grant was submitted last March which means there's a $400,000 shortfall. And Ryan Martin, Medford's uh, chief financial officer, uh, reported by the Road Valley Times, says, we're updating our grants process so this doesn't happen again. But what they're going to do is hold off on hiring a couple of uh, community service officers instead. And they're going to keep uh, hiring the uh, the firefighters. And like I was concerned about before, after three years, the city would increase public safety fees. In other words, your taxes. They call them fees, but they're taxes. They'll increase public safety fees to cover the additional expense. So there we go. And this was all after that uh, that 197-page analysis by A.P. Triton last year. You know, this is when the department, the city says, you know, we need to find out. We need an excuse to hire more public employees at very high rates. And, oh, no, we need to have four-man crews everywhere. Four-man crews are the standard. We only have .71 firefighters for every 1,000 residents. And so here we go. Yeah, This is just the, the way it is. And the highest risk for wildfires, it says here, in the east in the hills surrounding Roxy and Peak. High risk comes from the south as well. And so, okay, fine. All right. This is, um, in other words, um, in other words, the city has to justify the, uh, well, you know, the political donations from the Medford Firefighters Union to the city council. You know, you have, it's a good investment. That's all. That's about all I can say. It, ju- it still astounds me that public employees and their unions in Oregon, it's the same thing at the state, too. And by the way, this is not an anti-firefighter screen. It says, 
I really dislike the fact that there's never a real honest broker's relationship with public employee unions. The public employee unions, they contribute to the campaigns, they get them elected, and then they negotiate to hire more public employees and increase the uh, and increase the uh, salaries. Boy, what a nice, uh, interesting, uh, positive feedback loop for the public employees. All right? All right. Meanwhile, in uh, Grants Pass, speaking of uh, public employees, Grants Pass City Council earlier this week approved uh, 6% raises for police officers. Well, I'd like a 6% raise. And uh, they're looking at a 1.5% city sales tax and a $12 a month monthly water bill fee. In other words, a tax to help cover growing public safety costs. And Daily Courier reporting that many police officers will actually get 11% raises, counting the 6% cost of living raise approved by the council, plus 5% annual step raises that they uh, get for staying on the job another year. (sighs) All right. I know, I know, public safety, fire, public safety. It's, yeah, some of the most expensive people we hire. All right, I don't know. Maybe you want to. Maybe you don't mind. Think about that. At minimum, that's uh, to to give these raises means one hundred forty four dollars a month for every householder in uh, in Grants Pass. One hundred forty four dollars a year, rather, and a one point five percent city sales tax. Oh boy, people hate that stuff. It'll be really interesting. Wonder how much uh, political juice the police and firefighters have in Grants Pass. Probably the same as Medford. Seven seven zero five six three three. Let me go to the phones. Hi, KBD KCMD. Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, Bill. Bob Shand in Medford. Hello, Bob. Hey, hey. <laughs> thank you for touching on the uh, uh, Medford firefighters and, and the situation with the shortfall. Um, you know, I support our firemen, and you know, the four man crew is a good thing. Because they can, you know, get down, hit the ground, and take care of stuff without sending additional units with 1.6 people on board. All I would say is that the vast majority of uh, of fire calls are not fire calls. You know that. No, but they've got their their rapid response crews, you know, with the small little red truck, kind of like the old um, show on TV mm-hmm. with Nicholas and Gage and those guys. So they have. Oh, that. the old Squad 51. Okay, yeah. I yeah, 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 yeah. And, and <laughs> I got to experience that with the gentleman that fell down in our neighborhood recently. So, yeah, they're out there. But what I want to say and key in on is when it was known that that grant was going to be awarded, and prior to knowing of the shortfall in that grant, um, Medford manager Brian Shotun stated to the council. Um, you know, since we have this coming, we could roll back the fees, you know, or keep the money. And we talked about this previously mm-hmm. and look toward the future. And boy, you didn't hear a word. You didn't hear a word from Nick Card, who's a lovely guy or anyone else. It just kind of went over like a lead balloon. So what I'm saying is we've already paid the fees. And why doesn't I know, uh, you know, the. Medford Fire isn't 100% funded by our fees. Mm-hmm. So it comes out of the city's budget, just like it would be if you wanted to install a smoke alarm in your house. It comes out of your budget. So why doesn't Medford use their budgetary funds instead of incrementally raising the fees because they have to raise the fees to cover it? No, they don't. They don't. Budget for it like the rest of us have to budget for ourselves you're using our money to well do I, it. I would imagine then uh, that if they're just taking it out of the budget though that means that there are other things that are probably politically popular that uh, would need to be cut back if you were just to concentrate on uh, safety probably you know, public safety mega sports in the valley right yeah uh, that's a big priority oh oh i know because we know the, the we know the entire business of uh, the city of medford is to getting taxpayers to pay higher fees so that uh that yeah. the uh, tourism industry gets their hotels filled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I think our fees are the biggest homeowners association ripoff we have. <laughs> well, no disagreement with me on that. All right. Appreciate the call there, Bob. All right. It's uh, six thirty. 
Let me go to line two. Hi, KMD, KCMD. This is Minor Dave. Last night on Coast to Coast, they had a doctor on that was talking about the increased uh, amount of uh, stimulants they're putting out for people with AD. Uh, D, you know, the uh, adult deficit disorder. Yeah, attention deficit disorder. Yeah, what about it? Well, they uh, from 2019 to now, they've increased it uh, by f- 5 million more people are on it. And they've discovered that if you've taken, uh, if you've had COVID or if you've had the, uh, uh, the shot, if you're taking those stimulants, uh, it could cause heart problems. Hmm. Died suddenly, huh? Some more of that? Right. Okay. Interesting take. It's a little bit off topic. Thanks for the call, Dave. 632 at KMED, KCMD. Is your business or personal tax return under IRS audit? Tell the IRS First Response Resolution has got it. First Response Resolution in Eagle Point, your local tax resolution experts. Visit firstresponseirs.com and talk to Zach in Eagle Point. He'll defend you. The letter says that KUA's focus now must shift to assisting and supporting families in their transition away from the White City campus. Families who want to continue their relationship with KUA are invited to come to their Medford location. And Ashland's Brine, Brew, and Barrel Festival is kicking off this weekend, and for the first time it will be a two-day event. This year's event will feature over 40 vendors from cider makers to pickling to chocolate. There's a number of demonstrations and workshops scheduled as well. Organizers say there are tickets for the entire weekend available, as well as single-day tickets. The festival kicks off with a dinner at the Ashland Springs Hotel tonight at 6.30. And that's a look at your morning headlines. For NBC5 News, I'm Molly Smith. Hey, 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 it's 2024, and I want to help you buy a new Ford or new-to-you certified pre-owned vehicle. Joel here from Butler Ford & Truck Center with the new year discounts and low-rate financing. Let's make your new Ford an F-150 XLT 4x4, where I've got 60-month financing at 3.9%, plus 5,500 in total discounts and rebates. One more time on that rate, 3.9 for five years. That's how Ford trucks cost less in Ashland. I've got low rates and big discounts on Ford Escapes and red-hot Ford Bronco Sports. The Bronco is a fun one to drive. Come check it out for yourself in Ashland. I'll show you. I've got acres of Fords and certified pre-owned, so come down, and we'll help you find the vehicle and payment that are, well, right for you. Remember, Butler says yes to low interest rates. Butler says yes to big discounts and rebates. Butler says yes to giving you more for your trade. Remember, Butler Ford and Trucks. We're only 12 minutes south of Medford, right off of exit 19, where you already know we've got your truck, your SUV, your certified pre-owned, and electric vehicle. Discount after all four rebates and dealer discount. 16 month payments at 1837 for 1,000 finance credit. At Siskiyou Pump Service and Rotary Drilling Company, we provide well water services to your home and business from field to tap. Our drilling team will construct your water well, and our technicians at Siskiyou Pump Service can take it from there. With pump installation, water filtration systems, and installation of a holding tank if needed. Siskiyou Pump Service and Rotary Drilling Company are here for you with complete well water services from field to tap. Serving the Rogue Valley for over 50 years. Visit us at SiskiyouPump.com. 106.3 KMED, 99.3 KCMD, and this is the this Bill Meyer Show. Party that could ever be. Don't turn on lights because I don't want to see. You know, you turn on the lights and you watch the uh, cockroaches scatter on Capitol Hill. And uh, Rick Manning has seen the cockroaches uh, scatter many times over the years that he's been there. He's president of Americans for Limited Government, DailyTorch.com. And Rick, it's great to have you on here for a D.C. Swamp update. And I, I anyway, welcome back. It's great to have you on. Good morning, sir. Thanks for uh, having me on. And as people know, um, somehow it's always the cockroaches that survive. Yeah, it uh, it does seem to be that way for sure. Now, uh, question, I wanted to uh, touch in on uh, some things here. Um, I know that there is um, great, great dissatisfaction with this uh, this budget deal. And the way I understand it is that Speaker Mike Johnson cut a deal with uh, Chucky Schumer to uh, pay for fiscal uh, fiscal 2024. You know, the fiscal responsibility act levels. Right. And. and other cuts and recessions that uh, Democrats threw in to allow Johnson to you know, claim some wins. This is according to Punchbowl News. But is there kind of like the revenge of the conservative wing of the party right now? Because what? There's one vote, one Republican vote that can be spared 
out of all of these negotiations? Isn't that the case right now? Why don't you uh, set the table for what's going on in these uh, these budget deals? Hmm? Okay. First of all, what was agreed upon was a top line. That's ha- the overall amount of money that's going to be spent. Hmm. The top line is $16 billion lower than the top than the amount agreed to under the debt uh, ceiling deal. So it actually does cut $16 billion of of spending that would have occurred um, if they just done exactly what the debt ceiling deal outlined. Okay. Um, So yes, there's, uh, there is uh, some money that's been cut 10 billion of that is from IRS um, 6 billion from other, other places. Um, The, what Mike Johnson is saying, and, and he's right, is that we have these appropriations bills. We've set, we've passed seven of them through the House. We have five more to pass. Mm-hmm. And the decisions on how to spend that money is contained within the appropriations bills. All the top line agreement is this is how much money we're going to spend. And if you don't know how much money you're going to spend, it's really hard then to get to the nitty gritty of how you're going to spend it. So that is so. He's come under a great deal of fire because he agreed that there was a an amount of money that they'd be willing to spend. Um, and if they reached that amount and were able to pass the appropriations bills, they would be able – you would avoid a, quote-unquote, government shutdown. Right. Um, once again, the appropriations bills matter because – there are within those a lot of restrictions. It's not just spending money. It's restrictions on what – or allowances on what the Biden administration can spend the money on. And in many of these bills, there are – the Interior Department bill, for instance, that passed has a number of environmental restrictions rolling back a lot of the Green New Deal stuff that passed the House and now is pending over in the Senate. So the battle here – really isn't even over the money at this point, although some people want to make it that. Um, it's over what the Biden administration will be allowed to do and not allowed to do. Okay, that makes sense. And, that and, makes and sense. let me make the final point. When people th- sit there and throw around, oh, well, we're going to do a, we're, we're going to throw the speaker out, we're going to vacate the chair. What they're effectively doing is saying, we expect the Speaker of the House where they, he can only lose two vo- votes, two Republican votes before it becomes a tie because of some change, some people retiring and quitting. So he can only lose two Republican votes, and at which point they lose on the floor. And so what he's saying, what they're saying is, we want a Republican speaker who we've neutered because we have the capacity to throw him out any time and everybody knows it. And the people he's negotiating with aren't even certain he'll be there in a week. And yeah, a half they, they also but, understand that he could be thrown out just like that. OK, 100%. so he has no power. The people in the House understand he can be thrown out. So he has no capacity to strong arm people, has no capacity to tell, throw people off committee, because if he throws two people off committee, they vote against him and he ends up being he ends up not getting to be speaker anymore. So you have a so you've effectively neutered the speaker. And at the same time, you want the speaker to do a Herculean thing, which is to defeat a president of the United States who has veto power and a Senate that is, you know, in spite of the fact there's, they're split even, pretty evenly also, a, a Senate that is pretty much determined that they're not going to shut down the government. So there's a bunch of people talking about shutting down the government, mm-hmm. and I've never been against a government shutdown. Um, but in this particular case, it's a guaranteed loser. And what you lose out of it is you lose all the all the effort that's been put into actually trying to restrict the Biden administration actions within those individual appropriations bills. And that is what you lose. That's what you throw away uh, because of a collective temper tantrum. And it's stupid. Okay, And what I'm what I'm trying to understand is that we don't want to do stupid things. All right. We we have enough win. Yeah. (laughs) What I want to do is win. Yeah. And. The way you're, we're not going to win 100% in this environment. If we get 15 to 20%, a 15 to 20% win on some of those, on some of those uh, riders and policy riders is what they're called that are in those appropriations bills, if we can keep some of those things intact, that is a giant win because it restricts the Biden administration from doing stupid stuff. And that may feel like thin gruel to the folks at home, but once again, you have a 
you have Speaker Johnson to be thrown out by just you know, one or two people saying, hey, you know, you're out. If three people, right? if three people say um, we're we're vacating the chair, he's done. He's done. Right. And so and and even on that, in the best hurting cats. Because of all the Republicans that are there, there's only a two-vote majority. So he controls two votes, a two-vote majority in one-third because the Democrats, Chucky controls the Senate, right? And right. then you have right. the, uh, well, the president or the person playing the part of the president who has some, you know, veto power. Some yeah. of the White House, yeah. some of the White House is, is doing something. Yeah. So, yeah. And, in other words, it uh, it's a math problem, and the math is very tight. And I have a feeling that a lot of people don't understand that at home sometimes. And, and I'm not trying to give excuses to people, but it's a mathematics problem, and the math's not in your favor. I, and I understand that because it's very easy. I'll give you an example, and I'll even name the name. Um, there was a, te- there was a uh, podcast, uh, I think it was Alex Jones. Um, and it, I may be wrong on, Ale- on it being Alex Jones, but I, Matt Gates was on, was on this podcast talking about uh, concerns about censorship. And, and it was a, you know, and he literally said, we need to put something in appropriations bills to stop that. Well, he voted against the appropriation bill that had the language in it to stop that Hmm. because he didn't, he didn't know what was in the appropriations bills, which is not all that surprising because there's a lot of stuff in these appropriations bills, but you don't get get to go around and say, we've got to use the appropriations process to stop certain things from happening, and then say, I'm going to make it so the appropriations process fails. It's, it's a, you know, and the reason that somebody thinks they can do that is because they don't, they don't expect anybody to say, wait a second, you voted against the very thing you said you wanted to do when you refused to spend the money in the appropriations bill. And that's, the, that's kind of the double-edged sword. No matter what they do, they're going to spend money. And if you're sitting there saying the budget, the deficit is too big, I don't want to spend any money, that's that's fine. But then you don't get to have a say-so in what's in the bill to try to stop the Biden administration's out of control, you know, regulatory actions. And it's a and so it's really a it's a choice, it's a priorities choice. And the challenge the Republicans have is that they have not been able to set what the priorities are because everybody has a different one, and you and a majority of two gets to call the wall, call the ball. So and what, what Speaker Johnson is attempting to do is say our southern border is the priority. Yeah. That's what we have to fight over. And, and, that, and that's the one we were and talking about last hill, week. This is the hill to die on right now, the, this is the border security. Okay. And he, but he recognizes that he doesn't have 216 votes, which is how many he needs to hold, to hold to shut down the government because about 90 Republicans will not vote to shut down the government in, in the House. So he doesn't have the number of votes to shut down the government over anything. Okay. So given that, and he doesn't want to do a shutdown of the government over for three days and then have and then lose and lose the issue. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to consolidate the Republicans, let them gather on a hill and come all together and say, we're all going to fight on immigration against the Biden immigration plan, try to stop the close the border. But he's picking a different battlefield. He knows he loses the he knows he loses the government shutdown because he doesn't have a votes for government shutdown. And in the Senate, they don't have a vote the votes for a government shutdown. So he knows he loses that. So he says, I don't want to fight fight on a on a on ground that I'm going to lose. Any good general would say, if I'm gonna lose on this ground, I don't want to fight on this ground. I want to sure. move to higher ground. Exactly. Higher ground is the Ukraine spent is the Ukraine bill. The bill that would fund Ukraine, the special the special emergency request that Biden set up, there's 105 billion dollars. That was Ukraine. Uh, it has border security, but all this is processing processing people. It's got nothing to do with security. Um, it has Israel funding, about 14 billion in Israel funding, and it has some money for some the Department of Defense dealing with uh, the Pacific Fleet. Essentially, it's, it's I'm missing a few things, but that's essentially what's in it. Okay, that, that, that's the one he wants, and so he says, "Okay, we'll we'll give the spending to Ukraine in exchange for actual some real change on the border security." Well, right? What he's told Biden is, "You don't get, you know, you won't get it if you don't split the bill mm-hmm. by sending over to the Senate you, uh, Israel funding, 
and he attached to it, uh, ten, you know, he paid for it by cutting the $14 billion from the IRS. And so he sent a, he sent a paid for bill over to the Senate, which Chuck Schumer's refused to deal with. Hmm. So they've, the House has already passed Israel funding. And that's up to the if the president wants it. He needs to have Chuck Schumer bring it up. So that's a so that's one. So he split Israel and Ukraine already. The but what Biden now this balls in Biden's court. If he wants the money for Ukraine, he has to be, come to the House and say, "What do you need to, for me to get this done?" And at which point Johnson can lay the lay the terms for what needs to be done on the floor. And he already has in terms of HR2 and some other things, building the wall. And it is a, and so he can lay terms. He can say, this is what we need. And they can negotiate that. And that's how you get something done. But he had, the only way he can get that done is if he, has, if he keeps his 216, 216 votes in the House firmly in alignment that they're not going to vote for a separate Ukraine bill. They're going to vote, they're going to vote for, the only way that you, money goes to Ukraine, any more money goes to Ukraine, is if there is, in fact, a border deal. That's the leverage point you have on Biden. It's the thing he cares about. Um, there was a – he cares about it for a lot of reasons, but I think the primary one is Zelensky's uh, got a lot of information that uh, Biden doesn't want to have out. Yeah, I would imagine. So the other thing I would imagine, though, is that no matter what, this is a Herculean task that Speaker Johnson – I mean, this tiny needle he's trying to thread, Right. Essentially, percent. It's what he's trying to do. You know, it's not like the problem he has. If you're playing poker, and let's say you're playing seven card stud, and you have two cards down, well, the problem he has is both his cards are facing up. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. So, and every time somebody gets up and says, "Oh, we need to," you know, he's not doing a great job. He's, he's. We need to replace him. I wish we'd never put him in there. All that kind of junk. Every time somebody says that. They make the likelihood of him succeeding lower, and that's a that's just a fact. If you tell the other side that the guy you're dealing with, it can be his throat can get cut any moment. You don't have to take him seriously. Yeah, the yeah, they're not going to take him seriously because otherwise, hey, why, why would the Democrats play ball? Why would they even? Well, yeah, he's going to be gone yeah, next week. You, know. you can't you can't play hardball if one guy's got a standard Major League Baseball. And the other guy's got a Nerf ball. Yeah. Okay. okay? Yeah. High inside with a Nerf ball doesn't really matter. All right. I wanted to uh, shift gears here. I just wanted you to explain uh, what we're looking at here right now between is that the. Helpful? I, 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 I think it is. I, I think it is. Now, I wanted to talk about uh, Israel funding here for just a second because I heard Michael Oren, you know, former ambassador. Uh, on uh, Hugh Hewitt's show the other day, and he said something which actually made my draw drop, uh, my jaw drop rather, about uh, Israel. And it makes me wonder why we're spending money with Israel. Hear me out. I know I, I couldn't believe that he was this candid about it, but Michael Oren told Hugh Hewitt, listen, Israel's finances are in great shape. Our debt to GDP ratio is 58% in 2023, and, expect and they're expecting it to drop lower to 56% in 2024, which means they have very little debt. Meanwhile, USA debt to GDP is 120%, and our debt is continuing to soar to the moon. And, you know, Israel's economy, arguably more debt-free than uh, the U.S., so I, I guess I'm surprised no one's asked the question, why does Israel need $14 billion from us to fight their war? Because we're having to borrow money to give to Israel that almost has no debt and they have great credit. <laughs> has anyone ever talked about that? I'm well, I, I think that I, I think people do talk about that. And the question is, um, Israel is a small country. Okay. You can talk about debt to GDP and the like, but mm -hmm. I haven't looked at what their overall GDP is, but by they are a very small country economically. Okay. They have seven million. There, there's about seven million Jews in in Israel total. Um, another five million um, Arabs. So you're looking at about twelve million people total. Um, it's probably the equivalent of the state of New Jersey in terms of um, maybe a little smaller than New Jersey in terms of size, but in terms of population, it's probably about New Jersey. Um, the and so. One of the challenges that a country like Israel has is uh, 
that there is, while they are in you know fine debt to GDP shape, or for now, um, in a world where you are where your existence is threatened, banks say things like, "Well, we don't know your bill repay because ah. you may not exist." So, so even though it's low, it's low debt to, debt to GDP, they look at uh, they look at Uncle Sam. They look at Uncle Sam as credibly able to pay it back, but uh, but Israel they couldn't they couldn't guarantee that, right? Exactly right. Okay. And so you have a and so what a country like the United States does that has an alliance with Israel um, is we say okay, well we're going to help you um, because a couple things happen. Um, first of all. Israel's economy has been significantly impacted by this war because when you bring when you only have seven million people mm-hmm. who are in the fighting forces basically, and you pull three hundred thousand of them out the, out of the economy of your people who are your prime workers in your economy, but three hundred thousand of them out of it, you've effectively shut down your small businesses, you've shut down your factories, you've shut down um, basically all the things that make that make your economy run. And in fact, Israel is withdrawing troops from Gaza now, largely because they need those people going back to work to, for the economy to work. And so that becomes, so a, a debt to GDP problem, Israel doesn't have an, a big enough economy to sustain the level of armed forces they need to fight a three-front war um, for an extended period of time, and hence they need financial assistance to be able to pay their bills in the interim, and while their economy is shuttered, because you know many of the ten percent, fifteen percent of the workers in their economy are at war. Mm-hmm. All right, I appreciate that. That's, that's but, the answer, as I've been told. All right, okay, that that's good. I was just I was just wondering because I'm thinking, boy, I wish we were at uh, you know fifty eight percent, fifty six percent debt to GDP. We were, but you know, the unfortunately, the two thousands happened. Yeah, uh, agreed. I wanted to shift gears back to the uh, before we take off to the immigration uh, situation, and I was uh, I was talking with a constitutional law guy yesterday, and uh, he thinks that Texas actually, you know, with uh, could be pretty smart and actually beat the feds over this border issue in which uh, Joe Biden says, well, we're not going to defend the border and gee, Texas, you can't either. And uh, I noticed that there was that breaking news last night. Texas National Guard has seized control of a park at the southern border. And now they're blocking the Border Patrol from entering that area because they're going to actually, you know, start to staunch this flow. In one form or another, there's a there's a park that's on the border that uh, effectively is wide open mm-hmm. uh, because the border patrol is not actually allowed to do their job. Um, the uh, I am not a constitutional attorney. I will tell you what I've been told over last 15 years of talking about this issue with people from Texas. Texas has a constitution which gives them some unique. Uh, prerogatives related to defending their own, defending the their border. Um, they were an independent country prior to becoming part of the United States, so they didn't do use the same the, the way everybody else came in. Except yeah, they, they didn't come in like the other colonies, as an example, so that they, sort of thing. Or, or the territories that were part of a territory, and then and mm-hmm. they kind of got a boilerplate uh, agreement in terms of their state constitution. The when the United States States accepted the United Texas as a state. They had to vote on, in, in part of that, they had to vote on the Texas state constitution. And the Texas state constitution, as I as has been explained to me, provides some unique capacity for Texas to withdraw, A, um, but B, to defend its own border. And they even have the capacity to potentially split into five separate states if they should so choose. Well, that would be interesting with another eight senators, wouldn't it? Which would be interesting with another eight senators, which wouldn't guarantee that I'll be be Republican, by the way. Yeah, there is Austin, but, but uh, Austin, Texas, which is uh, well, yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges yeah. in Texas, but mm-hmm. politically. But besides that, that's the reason why a, a Supreme Court would have a different view, might have a different view on Texas than they did when Arizona was attempting to enforce. Uh, U.S. immigration law as a state uh, 
when when Obama administration wouldn't wouldn't deport people. And the state of Arizona said, well, we'll deport them for you. And they were deporting people. And the Supreme Court said you can't do that. Um, so that was a case based on Arizona's capacity, but it may not apply to Texas. If the precedent from Arizona holds, Texas won't. They'll the Supreme Court will will hold that Texas doesn't have the capacity. But I think Texas has a unique argument, and the argument is the initial agreement to come into the union was one where they'd be able to do just this if they if they needed to, to no. defend their own borders. All right. Now, my prediction, though, is that I know Arizona lost when they tried to do this, but we're at the point now where we're at a tipping point in which the United States government is losing its legitimacy in the view of a larger and a growing uh, portion of the population. It's not a small amount of people. When you will not defend these United States from invasion, you are losing your legitimacy to exist. Now, I'm not saying dismantle the, but, you know, I could see if Texas gets away with this, I could see southern border states such as in Arizona saying, okay, we're joining with Texas on something like this, and then what are you going to do about it, feds? What you what you would do with that is you would, I'll just tell you how legally I would do it. Um, any state that declared that said we have a border crisis, even though we're South Dakota, we've got, you know, yep. we have 600,000 people live here before. And now we got 850,000 people live here. Um, they say we've got a we've got a border problem because everybody's a border state when the when the federal government policy is to deport people north and not south. So you have a so you deport them out of Texas, they deport them to uh, your neighborhood coming close to you. Mm-hmm. So it's a, um, and so there's a statement, everybody's a border state now. That's a kind of a truism that even the left says, given that you could do a state, states could do state compacts with Texas. If Texas has the capacity to deport in a unique way given by the Supreme court, individual red states or blue states could make a compact with Texas, join this where they were engaged in deportation proceedings to protect their own state borders, utilizing compact with Texas as being the vehicle through which that deportation occurred. Excellent, excellent that is point. something that could happen. Yep. It's, a, it's a little, I haven't thought it through. In fact, this is the first time I've ever thought of it. But if, but just structurally, constitutionally, that's how you'd structure that. I could see that happening. Because this is a big deal. This is not just a little bit of argument about, the, well, we're just going to have a little change on the asylum policy measures, et cetera, et cetera. It's a gaping gash wound in this uh, in this nation right now, and it is destroying the fabric of this country. And- it absolutely is. And, and, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but um, if the numbers, if we really, they keep wanting to talk about there being, you know, 15 to 12, 18 million illegals in, in the country. That's just a fabrication. Okay. I think we're between 30 and 40 at this point. I, I think I, I, I'd go with, I'd go with 30. I know in the Trump, when at the end of the Trump administration, it could be more, uh, at the end of the Trump administration, they were talking about there being 22 million illegals. At and the end of that, that administration. Mm-hmm. And you've come back to the fair, the fair um, meetings back here. Sure, I mean their numbers are far lower than that um, in terms of what they estimate. But when the Biden Department of Homeland Security says there's 22 million illegals in the country in 2020, and we know there have been at least eight million encounters under Biden in the last three years, of which Mahorka says that they sent that they put sent 85 percent of them into the interior of the country. Um, you know, 8 million, 85% of 8 million, say about 6.4 million, um, 6.5 million. So you've got 6.5 million people, 6.4 million people just there. We know there's about 2 million gotaways. That's 8.4 million. Gotaways are people who the border patrol know actually crossed the border, but they didn't have any encounter with them because they've got cameras and other things they can see. So you got about 2 million gotaways. And then we have the untold number of people are coming in tunnels, cargo ships, and and all sorts of other smuggling means with really bad guys who are effectively being smuggled in uh, through means that they have no that we don't even know they're coming in. And anybody who says that's not happening doesn't isn't paying attention to Israel, where there were tons of tunnels that were built under the Israeli wall in a state that's very highly secured. 
and they had people they have people flooding in terrorists flooding in all the time yeah. that they don't know where they're coming from and they don't they don't know where they're coming out and then all you need to do is build a warehouse somewhere around the border put a hole in the ground and have that be your your exit point and run trucks in and out of that warehouse and you're at that point you've got a deportation center you've, you've got an importation center of real illegals so that's a there in those hat and that happens all down the border in the U.S. because the cartels are now buying land on the border. Mm-hmm. And 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 I and I and I have to tell you, you know, you you look at the in the border. Yeah, you look at the history, and uh, I'll send you some information from the uh, constitutional law guy I was talking to yesterday. He uh, wrote a five-part series in Epic Times. It's uh, quite good. Uh, Rob Nadelson is his name. I don't know if you've ever talked with him or read him. I have not. Yeah, but uh, he's with the Independence uh, Institute. Is where he is, or Independent Institute over there in uh, Denver, and uh, some good thinking there. And he's just even looking back at uh, even the definitions of invasion are more than adequately. And by the way, constitutionally, you're looking at the history of the Constitution, states have the ability to repel invasions. And yes, even if that meant Texas going in and carpet bombing a cartel location. And I know that a lot of people don't like that. Oh my gosh, you know, a state could go and, and yep. And he, he looked at it. I'll send you the information, okay? It's quite interesting. No, I, I, I think that that is, you know, that is true. It is a, um, it, it would be, there's a reason why we have we have state national guards. And it isn't because. Yeah, it isn't to serve as a repository to, uh, to send some people uh, to Ukraine at some point. That's not the purpose of the National Guard. It's not the reason it was formed. So state okay. National Guards exist for a purpose, a constitutional purpose. And as a result, you know, we, I don't want to get into the Second Amendment militia argument, but the entire left's argument against the individual right to keep and bear arms is that states have militias and they're to do stuff like what we're talking about. So if the left is – if that's the left's argument that they make before the Supreme Court, whether or not there's a – it's an individual right or not, which the court has agreed with me and you that it is an individual right, you still have this militia language that indicates that there's an organized capacity of states to defend themselves. And we're at a time in which the states are needing to defend themselves, especially the southern border states. And I, I think this is what we're going to be seeing. And if the feds aren't going to do it, I, I will almost guarantee you in the next few months, states will start. And Texas will be the leader. It'll be fun, to, it'll be fun to hear the left arguing against militias um, after years of listening to them, to them arguing for them. Yeah. Well, of course uh, – you know, double standards, that's the standard that the left usually has, okay? All right, my friend, thank you for the talk. Great talk over uh, Rick Manning, president of Americans for Limited Government, dailytorch.com. Read that site up. You see some really interesting uh, opinion and analysis of what is going on. Please support the group. Rick, we'll talk next Friday, okay? Thank you so thank much. You. All right, Bye-bye. five minutes after 7, KMED, KMED, HD1, Eagle Point, Medford, KCMD, Grants Pass is where you're waking up. Mm, good.